like to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. Luke is uh, continuing to lay a foundation for us that um, kind of prepares us for the birth of Christ and the advent of the gospel. And in these early chapters, as uh, we've been studying, he tells us about the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one who comes to prepare the way for the Lord. And then the same angel that visits Zacharias in the temple goes to visit Mary. And announces to her that even though she is a virgin, she is going to have a child and uh, bear a son. They're going to call him Jesus, which uh, is Yeshua, meaning Savior, because he is going to save his people from their sin. So this morning we pick up the thread in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1. If you're there in your Bibles, why don't you follow along as I read for you. Now at this time Mary arose and went in hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me? that the mother of my Lord would come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts in the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time forth all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud In the thoughts of their heart, he has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. And as you can imagine, if Elizabeth was six months pregnant and Mary stayed with her about three months, she stayed until John the Baptist was born. Now, you know, if you and I are going to take a trip, maybe a day trip, maybe overnight or whatever, we, um, if we're the planning type, we start planning the trip, we think about where we're going to stay, we... Um, plan, you know, what we're going to eat and those kind of things and what we're going to take. If you're not the planning type, 
You just think about where you're going to go and you throw some clothes in the car and you get in the car and you take off. And you hope you find a vacancy along the way if you need to stay overnight. And uh, in, in our culture, we can manage to be somewhere almost anywhere within a few hours or half a day. If you can't drive there, you can fly there. And uh, it doesn't make any difference at all whether you're a man or a woman. You have the equal privileges and opportunities. You can just get in the car and go if you want to. Well, so many times when we read the Scripture, we read it as if it were in our culture. And the Bible was written in a very different time in the culture of the first century Israel, and particularly this early portion, was very different from what we experience. And so, I want to tell you a little bit about the background, because it has a lot to say to us about this family. First of all, in those days, a young woman of Mary's age who was not married, and she would have been, I told you a few weeks ago, 12 or 13, 14 years old, she would have been secluded in her parents' household. She would not go out even to the local village as a rule. She would be kept kind of sequestered, as they did with their daughters. And um, she certainly wouldn't go into town by herself unless she were accompanied by uh, older women or some of the men folk in her family. Um, to make a journey from where she lived to where Elizabeth lived, which was about 70 miles, was first of all at least a three-day, if not a four-day walk. And furthermore, it would never have been undertaken by a, a young woman of her age and unmarried status by herself. Um, that would simply have never been permitted. And so in order for Mary to make this trip, she had to have the buy-in of her family to leave the oversight of her father and go on a four-day journey being engaged to another man would have just been anathema without the commitment and support of the family to make the trip. In fact, we may surmise with every good reason that members of the family went with her. For one thing, it wasn't even safe for a man to make a journey like that by himself. You had no idea who, what you would encounter on the road. You wanted a few people around to fend off robbers. And so they would have probably traveled in a, in a group to Elizabeth's house. Now, on the other side of the journey, Elizabeth is, is in her sixth month. And as was the tradition, she had secluded herself for those first two trimesters of her pregnancy. She would not have been seen outside until about the third month. And being of her age and status, she, she might have ventured forth and news would have traveled but uh, regardless of that, we know that Gabriel told Mary in his announcement that her relative Elizabeth had conceived in her old age and was in her sixth month. So here's the background. Uh, Mary wants to go see Elizabeth. There's a connection here. 
And the scripture says she went with haste. She quickly made these preparations and she wants to make this trip. But she's got to break this news to her family. And this is interesting news. How does she know that Elizabeth is six months pregnant? And furthermore, how did she get pregnant? Because she's got to tell her family about the visit of the angel. And yet, surprisingly, no one seems to raise any objection. She makes the trip, which tells me that the family was supportive and embraced and believed the message of the angel and, and the visit that she had had, and were beginning to, to buy into this amazing story that was unfolding in front of their eyes. I suggest to you that this was not something that kind of uh, just burst upon them, but they had preparation and they had background and they had experience that prepared them for these dramatic revelations. As they go to visit Elizabeth, they find that Elizabeth is indeed in her sixth month of pregnancy. She's an older woman, and she has been beyond childbearing years, but now she's going to have a baby. And uh, her husband is a priest, and they are of a great heritage of faith. And as you begin to listen to the exchange that goes on between these two women, you get the impression that this family, not just Mary and her immediate family, but this extended family, and it even goes to Joseph, uh, who is not a part of her immediate family, but as her husband-to-be, also a man of faith, that these are people who have spent a great deal of time in the Scriptures, who have cultivated a relationship with God, who are waiting for and preparing for the coming of Messiah. They have no idea the role that they're going to play in the unfolding drama of the advance of the kingdom, but there's no question that they were learners and anticipators beyond the average. You and I both know, it's not very much unlike our times, that there are people who are passionate for God, and then there are people who have made commitments to Christ and are a part of the church, but they're just kind of, eh, you know, just living life. And then there are other people that are almost indifferent, but there is always that kind of circle of people that are really, really committed to God. And it seems as though Mary and Elizabeth and their families are that latter type that are really, really committed. One of the reasons I say that is because as they began to greet one another, and uh, we're going to look in a moment at what we call the Magnificat, or Mary's Song, we find that it is filled with Old Testament quotations, what we call the Old Testament. For them, it would have been the Scriptures. That's the only ones they had. But in doing so, we recognize that Mary is quoting Scripture verbatim. But she did not have a Bible. 
Once again, if you want to look something up in the scripture, what do you do? Now you probably get your iPhone out and type in the search terms, you know. (laughs) Or you pull the book off the shelf. uh, Or wherever you keep your Bible. But in Mary's day, you you didn't have the scriptures written. It was a very precious thing if the local synagogue had one copy of the scroll. Because it had to be all handwritten. And there would have been multiple scrolls covering those 39 books of the Old Testament. And furthermore, Mary would not even have been an active participant in synagogue. She was a young girl. And her education was not considered premium, at least in the community. But obviously her family brought home the stories. Her father and the men of the household brought home the stories and shared them with the family. And Mary assimilated them in her heart. We have a kind of a, well actually we have kind of a TV media culture, but at least a written culture. We, we do a lot of reading. We put stuff in print. But theirs was nearly entirely oral as they shared the stories. But it wasn't just telling the story. It was telling the story over and over again the same way so that the next generation could commit it to memory. And they could repeat the story. And they could pass along the story. And so when Mary begins in her song to quote the Scriptures, she is giving us word for word essentially what we have written in our own Bibles. It's really quite amazing. And so Luke tells us that as Mary went to the home of Elizabeth and greeted her, and we don't know what that greeting was. There's a temptation for us to jump ahead to Mary's song and say that was the greeting, but that's not the greeting. That comes afterward. That comes after Elizabeth's response. But as she goes and gives her greeting, uh, again, here is the picture. How old is Elizabeth? Well, we don't really know. Zacharias, we know, was advanced in years as Elizabeth was at least past menopause, so she was probably in her late 40s or 50s. She could even have been 60 or 70 for all we know. We don't know how old she was, but um, we know that she was clearly the senior, the elder uh, in in the equation because Mary was 13 or 14, maybe 12, maybe 15, but... Uh, in that young teenage category, as we call it. And all of a sudden, the tables are turned. Mary gives her greeting to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth feels this stirring in her own womb as John-to-be leaps within her womb for joy, and the Scripture says she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden... She recognizes what's going on and who this is and turns the tables on protocol and begins to recognize the superiority of Mary in her presence. 
She says to her, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. What? She's, she's pregnant, and she's here, and she's still betrothed to Joseph, and what is this? But Elizabeth grasps all of this. And she says, how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Time out on the field. Can I interject something? Elizabeth is six months pregnant. There is a baby inside of her jumping for joy at the sound of Mary's greeting. How far along is Mary? Month? Few weeks? The implications are almost that she's not far enough along for it to even have been noticed biologically yet. Because as soon as she got the angel's announcement with haste, she went to see Elizabeth. Maybe a month? Maybe less. And what does Elizabeth say? How is it that the mother of my Lord has come to me? John the Baptist, who is not born, recognizes Jesus, who is a speck in the womb. And Elizabeth ascribes to him, both personality and office. He is not only a human being, he is my Lord at this stage of development. The Bible is filled with support for the sanctity of life from conception. A baby is a human being the second the egg is fertilized. It is a whole person and remains a whole person all the rest of its life. Amazing insight as Elizabeth recognizes this profound truth. Don't don't miss the hiddens between the lines. Just because the story is about another theme. There is great support here for the sanctity of life. And Elizabeth recognizes that Mary is indeed the mother of her Lord. And then she affirms Mary's faith. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. We have no evidence that Mary ever did anything other than completely trust the word of the angel and joyfully gave herself to that cause. Now, you know, as soon as Elizabeth has said these profound words, I don't know how much of all of this had really dawned on Mary Before now, I'm sure she was filled with wonderment and mystery and amazement and kind of still trying to get used to the idea that she was going to have this child that was 
the long-awaited Messiah. But now all of a sudden she burst forth with praise and adoration to God and she begins this song by saying, My soul exalts in the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has had regard for the humble state of His bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all the generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. Alexander McLaren, one of the older commentaries, has, commentators, has noted uh, in his comments on this passage that when truly humble people are recognized and given great privilege and status, it does not go to their head. But instead, to their heart, they recognize in humility the very special blessing and they ascribe the glory to God. You know, it is a, it is a hard thing as fame develops to remember that you were just an ordinary person before everybody thought you were extraordinary. And there are a lot of people, I guess, you know, not speaking of Mary now, but there are a lot of people in show business or sports that may be talented and never get the limelight. And then those that do somehow think it's all uh, them. Little do they realize how much God has already endowed them with aptitude and ability. But, But here's Mary who is given this very, very special place by God, and it never goes to her head. And in this moment, she recognizes in her just like awe that God has truly favored her. But she says something that's very significant. All generations will count me blessed. Now, I just want to remind us Protestant evangelicals. We're technically not Protestants because we weren't in that long line of protesters that started with Luther. That's basically the Lutherans and and some Calvinists. But um, we are still in that heritage, and very often, um, you know, we think of ourselves as Protestants meaning opposing the excesses of the Catholic Church. That in our zeal not to make the error of Mariolatry, which is the worship of Mary, and the Catholic Church is unfortunately caught up in that, we have gone to the other extreme by almost denigrating her to the place of having no significance. Do not miss the reality that all the generations will call her blessed. She is a very special lady. She is the one chosen by God to be the natural mother for the incarnation of Jesus Christ. She is the only woman, the only person who carried Him in her womb. 
She is the only one who felt his first movements. She is the only one who gave birth to Messiah, the Lord Jesus. She is the only one who cradled him in her arms and nursed him at her breast. She is the only one who was there to cover his owies and to kiss his boo-boos and to protect him and watch over him as he grew and developed. Along with Joseph, she had the unique privilege of literally being the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ and having that special opportunity to know him like no one else could have known him. We need to take care that we don't put down her role. She does not deserve to be worshipped. She is not God, and she is not the mother of God. She is the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, but she is the one who gave birth to his natural human body. You can't make the leap and say she's the mother of God, as in Genesis, uh, of God himself. That's not remotely true. But she's a very special person. And throughout all of history, the scripture even supports the rightful recognition of her significant role. And then, as Mary begins to wax eloquent with this song of hers, she gives the reason why this is going to be such a special blessing. Because His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arms and scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart and brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. She talks about the kingship of the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. How is the leader of the mighty army of God? He will defeat the foes of the Lord. She talks about His compassion and his concern for the, the, the social tragedy of those who are underprivileged and trampled underfoot, who do not have opportunity and lack privilege and are the outcast and the poor of this world and how He will recognize uh, their condition and reach out to them, but also Many suggest there are in these thoughts because they are in the original thoughts of Scripture that that is not only physical poverty, but spiritual poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then she recognizes that this one that she bears, that God has given her the privilege, is the Messiah, the the Savior of the world, the long-awaited one promised to Abraham through you and your seed. All the nations of the world will be blessed. And all of Israel will be blessed to Abraham and to his descendants forever. 
It is interesting that almost every line of the Magnificat is a quotation from various parts of Scripture, from Genesis 17, from the Psalms, from uh, other places, from Isaiah, from Job. There are all of these quotations all over the Old Testament that Mary incorporates into her praise. In fact, her song is so filled with Old Testament quotations that liberal scholars have doubted she ever spoke these words. How could some ignorant peasant girl even know this stuff? But I submit to you that she really did know this stuff, that she was hungry and thirsty for the Word of God and had filled her life with it. And that she came from a family that was richly uh, committed to the Word of God and to the hope of Israel, praying and looking and yearning for Him. And that in her longing, she had built these Scriptures into her heart. And in this moment, they came tumbling out of her one after the other, practically verbatim. It suggests to me that Mary was someone who was well prepared for the role that God had chosen for her. And that leads me to ask us the question, are we those people that are prepared should the call of God come to our lives? You know, typically that call doesn't come in such a way that there has been no background. Even Paul, who was arrested by a blinding light on the road to Damascus, had spent his whole life studying the Scriptures. He just needed a different perspective on what they meant. I remember very clearly how God called me, and it started out not with a call to preach. It started out with a call to surrender. With a call to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life and to follow Him. And that led to a hunger for His Word and a desire to know it and to build it into my life. And then as I began to build it into my life, I had to share it. Couldn't keep it to myself. You know, I was gathering people around to have Bible studies. I have a picture in my mind's eye of many, many years ago sitting in the living room of Rowena's house with a number of people gathered around on the floor and the sofas as we were talking about the Bible together and I was leading Bible study. I'm not 100% sure we were even dating then. It was pretty early in our relationship. And yet, there was a hunger in me to share the things that I had come to know. And it was then that the call of God came clearly to me to proclaim the gospel with the rest of my life. Are you ready to hear God's call? Are you following His Lordship? Are you already committed to His purposes? Mary was committed to, to kingdom purposes 
before she even knew there was a kingdom. Much less that she would give birth to the king. She was already committed. She had already built these things into her life. And Mary could have had no way of knowing on this very happy occasion of meeting Elizabeth what the cost of discipleship would mean for her. I'd like to conclude this morning by reading a paragraph from McLaren's commentary at the end of this passage where he writes, The last turn in the song celebrates the faithfulness of God to His ancient promises and His help by His Messiah to Israel. The designation of Israel as His servant recalls the familiar name in Isaiah's later prophecies. Mary sees in the great wonder of her son's birth the accomplishment of the hopes of ages and an assurance of God's mercy as forever the portion of the people. We cannot tell how far she had learned that Israel was to be counted, not by descent, but disposition. But in any case, her eyes could not have embraced the solemn facts of her son's rejection by his and her people. No shadows are yet cast across the morning of which her song is the herald. She knew not the dark clouds of thunder and destruction that were to sweep over the sky. But the end has not yet come. And we have to believe still that the evening will fulfill the promise of the morning and all Israel shall be saved. And that the mercy which was promised from of old to Abraham and the fathers shall be fulfilled at last and abide with their seed forever. Jesus is called also the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But the scripture says that Mary's own heart was pierced with many griefs, many sad moments. The ridicule and the derision with which she and Joseph uh, endured the mockery of the people, neighbors, and those around them throughout their lives, even later in the ministry of Jesus as they said derisively, is this not Joseph's son? Outside of her own family, no one believed the virgin birth. Maybe Simeon and those in the temple, but not for the most part. She was there when Jesus' life was at risk. Like any mother, her heart went out. She was there when his brothers and sisters, at least his brothers, came to, to bring the lunatic home. Because they thought he'd lost his mind. She was there when they nailed him to a cross. And she saw him die. Mary's obedience was costly. And yet, there had to be an earthly mother. God chose her. And that other group has given her another name also, Our Lady of Sorrows.
because Mary really did bear many, many sorrows. But she had many joys. And in the end, in her own trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, she has seen him now face to face in glory at the right hand of the Father. And she has bent her knee and confessed him as Lord of her life and Master. The one who nursed him at her breast now recognizes him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. A very, very special woman in history. Perhaps the most special of all. Father, thank you for your word to us. And like Mary and Elizabeth and their family, may we be people that are ready for your call. May we be those who are prepared when your Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulder and shows us what it is you want to do with us, that we can say yes with abandon. Because the question of following you has already been settled. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.